I think I wrote um, like 2,000 posts in nine years, um, which, you know, is like basically like every other day I was pretty much posting something. But yeah, in some ways, I mean, I think when Jeremy and the Bucksball guys were, were still doing their thing and, and putting out really good stuff and, um, you know, we were we were obviously doing our thing at Baruch and um, Behind the Buck Pass, you know, was, was doing their thing and, and, you know, that was maybe kind of the, that was, that was obviously a really fun time when, when there was that sense of ascendancy for the Bucks. Sort of, it's sort of like there's like two, there's like two different phases to my, my life as a Bucks fan, like kind of 1992 to 2005 and then 2005 on. I'll come back for the, I'll come back, I'll come back for the parade. Post COVID, we'll have parades again. Hopefully um, I would, that, that would be my peak. Then I can retire as a Bucks podcaster. So, real quick, you're no doubt here for the Frank Madden episode, and honestly, why wouldn't you be, right? I get it. I would be too. And humbly, I have to say, this is a pretty incredible episode. Now, you know that what you may not know is that this is only one episode of what has been a podcast run that has featured multiple appearances from some of the brightest lights in the extended Bucks blogosverse, Twitterverse, blogosphere, uh, whatever. Names like Adam McGee, Kyle Carr, Jordan Tresky, Kane Pittman, Riley Feldman, Ty Windish, Andrew Snyder, and of course Tom O'Grady, the man who worked under David Stern and created some of the greatest uniform sets the NBA and WNBA have ever known, including the iconic, yes that's right, the iconic Milwaukee Bucks purple set. So, if you happen to be here just for the interview today, we invite you to check out our back catalog of interesting interviews as well as the Last Dance post-show recaps because we are just getting started. Once Tonya World presents and the best is yet to come. So we ask you to share with a friend or retweet on Twitter or elsewhere. If you have a question for the show or something that you don't like that's stuck in your craw, that's totally cool, tweet it out and we will address it. We encourage disagreement on the show and that served us really well so far. So we appreciate you. With that being said, please enjoy the Frank Madden episode. My guest today needs zero and I mean like zero introduction. He's the founder of Brew Hoop, longtime host of the Brew Hoop podcast, the current co-host, although let's be honest, kind of the host of the Locked on Bucks experience. And many would say he's actually, well, kind of like the conscience of Bucks Twitter. Mr. Frank Madden, how are you? Well, that's that's the the conscience of Bucks Twitter. Do I want do I want that title? Am I am do, do I need to do I need to step take a step back from that? I don't know, but I I appreciate the kind words. Um, I feel like this has been a long time coming. Uh, since we've I don't know how long we've you know, online known each other, but it's felt like forever. And um, yeah, happy to be happy to be chatting with you today for the first time in real not I guess is this real life? Uh, maybe not, but podcast is is close enough. Yeah, it's close enough. This this counts. So. I mean, maybe uh, you ran opposed as the conscious of Bucks Twitter, but I don't really, I don't think anybody's really coming for that title. Um, <laughs> I was going to save that a little bit for later, but, but that, that's a good, good place to start. So, yo, how did you find yourself in this spot as kind of like the number one Bucks guy? Like you're the Bucks, in a sense, you're kind of, I don't know if I'd call you the number one fan. I mean, I think um, you're kind of like the, the guy who was, here the longest and, and, and still here. And you're the one that everybody respects. There's all these factions of different people disagreeing at each other's throat in some kind of way. Frank, Frank Madden is Teflon. Like how did that happen? (laughs) 
It's a good question. So I'm, I mean, I'm 39 years old. So, and, and I mean, I stopped writing in, in end of 2016, um, which was, was for job related reasons, kind of random job related reasons. Um, so it happened kind of abruptly, um, but obviously kept podcasting. Um, and, and I think that's kind of worked out for, for the best, but I don't know. I mean, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, like when I think about, you know, like the, my place in kind of bucks fandom i still definitely consider myself a fan right um that that certainly i think differentiates me from from some people who obviously have covered the bucks or or, you know other basketball teams and and who have you know they've become legitimate journalists right i mean like you know eric eric name of course my my friend and former co-host and former brew hoop writer with me um you know eric's a real journalist so he you know at this point he's not really a Bucks fan, but he's obviously really close to the team. So it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of a weird thing. Right. But he also is from Wisconsin. He grew up as a Bucks fan. So he's kind of in like a weird thing. Cause he's also so close to the team. Right. I mean, he obviously before March, he was in the locker room, you know, I mean, his access with Giannis and things like that. Like it's just a very different relationship he has to sports and, and, and the Bucks than I do, but, but I've always, you know, I've always kind of kept a distance in part just because, you know, I, I haven't lived in Milwaukee since I went to college, right? That was 21 years ago that I left Wisconsin. I mean, I would come back in the summers during college and, you know, I always go home for Christmas and I try to make a couple trips a year, at least, you know, um, pandemic providing a, that that's possible. Um, but yeah, I've always, it's, it's, I think it's sort of a product of a few things. Like I think being far away and never, never, like I, I you know, I started writing about the Bucks um, when I was, 26 i guess so i already sort of had a career and there was never really an illusion of like oh, i'm gonna go be a journalist as, as like my my day job type thing so i think i always sort of knew that i was going to keep fandom close to me because it was kind of like you know if i was going to become like a journalist and i get it like then then you kind of you, you kind of almost have to lose some of that fandom if you if you're around the players and the team like you have to it changes the dynamic and i always enjoyed the fact that i kept a degree of distance and obviously I know a lot of people around the team um but I've, I've never you know sort of aimed to be more than kind of what I am <laughs> what I am now <laughs> um and so even though I think I play a much less essential role now since I'm not writing about the team you know when I was at Brew Hoop that was probably like you know <laughs> the peak of my relevance <laughs> let's say to kind of the day-to-day Bucks coverage, right? Because, um, you know, Eric wasn't obviously until, you know, Eric left, which was sort of late in my tenure, you know, Eric wasn't covering the team day to day either um, for, for like a real outlet, right? When he went to the athletic. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny in a lot of ways, like it's sort of always been the same for me, like being sort of around the team, but not that close and, and being a huge fan and covering the team really closely and, and living and dying with things. Um, but at the same time, you know, kind of like maintaining uh, enough distance um, from, you know, sort of like the journalism side that that I can still be a fan. And obviously, I'm, I'm I would say I'm I'm not like a homer. You know, I, I think I'm pretty objective. Hopefully, that's why you would say I'm the conscience because I'm I maintain some degree of um, not a homer, not a homer, not, not a homer. I maintain some degree of of perspective on the team. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I want I want them to win every night. Um, so so yeah, I, I don't know. But it's it's kind of funny because it's like. You know, now I see, I mean, the, the, the media landscape has changed so much since I started, you know, when I started, I don't know how many 
I don't know how many SB Nation team blogs there were when I started. I think I was like the eighth or something like that. Like, I call it 10 or fewer. Um, and and so there's obviously then I was around for sort of this explosion in coverage from kind of the fan slash amateur, but really smart people type type groups that, that kind of started. And then I've seen a lot of those people that I became friends with, you know, have become, have sort of crossed over into now they're like quote unquote real journalists, right? I mean, Eric's obviously sort of the local example of that, but mm-hmm. you know, people like Ben Golliver um, or Andrew Sharp, like people I knew way back when they were, you know, kind of young people sort of more on the periphery of, um, of, of the NBA beat, right? Um, it's been kind of fun seeing this whole generation of people come up who many of them started around the time I did. And I kind of always knew I was never trying to be, you know, I was never trying to cover the NBA as a whole, right? Um, I was always gonna just, I never had an ambition to go beyond the bucks. Um, and so that kind of has always given me, I guess, a degree of like, um, you know, like I, I was, I knew I was never gonna, I, I knew I could sort of stick around and do this because I started when I was a working professional, right? And I've continued sort of in that, that whole, you know, period. And it's been about 13 years, <laughs> I guess, that I've, that I've oh, been wow. doing this. And so the biggest change has been, obviously, I have, you know, a almost three-year-old daughter now and I'm married. Which wasn't the case when I started, but um, yeah, things have kind of been kind of hung. Things have been stable enough, and my wife's a huge basketball fan. She's a Rockets fan, if you didn't know. Um, <laughs> How would I know that? If those listening weren't aware, um, so she's a big <laughs> basketball fan, so she knows this is kind of like my my thing, my hobby. Um, and I don't know, but it's also sort of funny too, kind of like seeing the rise of um, of like other people in kind of the Bucks sort of Twitterverse, sort of you know fan universe, and. You know, there are a lot of obviously young fans now that, um, you know, people that weren't even like, you know, uh, alive, like when the big three, <laughs> big three were around, you know, right, so right. that's kind of a fun, a fun aspect of it too. So, I mean, I definitely, I feel, I feel my age in some respects, you know, I know that I'm not kind of part of that, like really younger group. And I mean, there's, you know, there's people that have a lot of followers on Twitter who talk about the Bucks, you know, all the time. And they've never, you know, written an article. Some of them don't even have a podcast, but you know, they've sort of um, it, the the media landscape of what it means to to have a voice in in you know the coverage of a sports team has just changed a lot. And I think I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I, I I mean, I came quote unquote came up, you know, when there was that feeling of like bloggers versus real journalists and kind of the you know challenges of of getting legitimacy as as a voice. Um, which wasn't as big a deal in, in Milwaukee because there was just so little kind of like quote unquote professional coverage anyway um, that there kind of wasn't much of an option. Mm-hmm. And, and the team was, was super open to, you know, young writers um, who were not sort of traditional um, journalists kind of coming in. Like, I mean, Alex Boder, who I started Brew Hoop with, you know, him starting to get credentialed, you know, I don't know when that was, 2000, I don't know if it was in 2008, maybe 2009. So something, you know, somewhere in that time frame, right, which is pretty early um for for i think a lot of teams so the team was always super open to it and so i think i think it's the bucks have always had a very and and also just like you know you think about like charles gardner and and matt velasquez like they were never like i don't know like defensive of their turf towards you know like yeah whatever i mean maybe gary wolfel felt differently i don't know but um (laughs) but but for the most part it's it's been a pretty great um you know for I, i think small markets are a great place to be in that regard because you can kind of get your arms around them and the team kind of can't ignore, you know, people that, that start to have some degree of following. And so it's always been, I think, a, a generally 
a generally positive place, you know, with obviously the exceptions of the fact that we're an, a tortured fan base. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes, yes. Is always sort of for, sort of battling its own demons and and its uh, you know degree of self loathing, which which you know pop, has has popped up less and less maybe the past couple of years. But then at the end of the season, we obviously see it see it come out in spades. So anyway, so that's my very circuitous answer. Um, and I, I think I think I covered a fair bit of territory on it at least. Oh yeah, there was a point, um, 2016, where it was like, oh, uh, Eric is going to be Giannis's wind horse, and it was just like, okay, oh, that make you know, oh, I can see, I can see the path, and 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 I was, I was here for it. I, we were kind of happy, you know, every, you know, obviously we still root for Eric and all this kind of stuff like that. But there was kind of with the ascendancy of the Bucks, there was this idea that, um maybe all of a sudden hopefully somebody could get could get something out of this you know um eric maybe doesn't go quite as far back as you but like you know eric eric is a little bit of a you know the og with this kind of stuff too and it was like there was i i feel like 2014 kind of going into 2014 2015 uh there was very much a rooting for all of these like you mentioned um uh, those guys and you know nick whalen and certainly jeremy and and steve on horn and there was there was at least for me, there was this great degree of rooting for these guys who were following the team when the team was just garbage, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the aughts. And it was just so anytime you guys would kind of pop up or do kind of uh, cross episodes with each other or um, uh, much later with the behind the buck pass guys, it was it was like a cool crossover to see uh, kind of the sense of community that, that was there from all that. And, and at the same time, I remember um, I think you talked about it on the show. This might have been a couple of years ago, but when. Giannis first started following Eric on, on Instagram or whatever it was. I was like, Oh no, you know, this is going to mess everything up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I guess you could look back on, you know, like what was the, uh, you know, the peak of Buck's sort of blog blogosphere. Um, since I don't even know if blogosphere is the right, right term for what we have, you know, now it's all sort of a hodgepodge to, to some degree, which I think is good. I, I don't, I, I don't, I think it's good that there aren't like, you know, really, strict lines drawn around things but but yeah in some ways i mean i think when jeremy and the buckskeball guys were were still doing their thing and and putting out really good stuff and um you know we were we were obviously doing our thing at group and um behind the buck pass you know was was doing their thing and and you know that was maybe kind of the that was that was obviously a really fun time when when there was that sense of ascendancy for the bucks you know and that that maybe we were starting to see something and um you know like like Alex and um, and Jeremy and and Jake McCormick, um, mm. Steve and like all of us, you know, and, and Eric, um, you know, we we kind of come in at sort of different points, but there was that sense of um, you know, because like Alex and and Jeremy and Jake and Eric later, I mean, you know, they all kind of um, overlapped to varying extents, and like they were the like young guys on the beat that were like led in the led in the door by you know Bucks PR, shout out Bucks PR. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there was a lot of kinship there. And so I think that always made it kind of fun because, um, you know, like Jeremy and I were never really, you know, and behind the buck pass guys, like, there was never the sense of like, you know, like, I don't know that like, we wanted to like, we got to be the big, biggest bucks blog. And like, uh, like we go to like, right, you know, right. whatever. It's just like, it's like, I yeah, know we, we all like knew each other and everybody respected each other. And, um, there wasn't like a real, you know competitiveness right there was that kind of like wisconsin niceness to to kind of everything right um and and you know we would like when i would go home i would always try to hang out with with you know the brew hoop guys and 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 uh and obviously also jeremy try to drag jeremy out too and see what jeremy's what what cynical things jeremy was saying about about the bucks at that that point so um so yeah it it, it was a really um 
that was a really fun time. And I, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, you know, like Jeremy obviously sort of just kind of quit, quit the bucks ever, you know, kind of cold Turkey. Um, I, I've obviously like kind of kept my, my foot in, in a way that kind of is, is, um, convenient for me just by slapping on, you know, headphones and, and just sort of, uh, you know, dragging on and, and talking without much research sometimes, um, and, and kind of doing it that way, which is way more efficient for me than, than sitting down to write, you know, a thousand, a thousand word story yeah. about the cap or whatever, which, um, sometimes like became like super tortured, you know, multi-day, uh, ex- expeditions for me. Um, so I, I think kind of things worked out. Like I, I wasn't plan. I know I, I had not planned to stop covering the bucks in late 2016 when I did, but, um, but it actually, I think, kind of worked out for the best because you know it's it was a lot. <laughs> like I put, it, yeah, yeah. I think I wrote um, like two thousand posts in nine years, um, which you know is like basically like every other day I was pretty much posting something, and obviously some days like especially during the season, right? Like I know Steve Von Horn would always joke because he, he you know he eventually moved to Boston. That's where he lives now, and you know I was on the East Coast covering writing you know game recaps of like west coast games and it's just like wait why did i do that like that was that was really weird but um fortunately i always had enough flexibility to kind of you know make, make it work and, and not go totally crazy doing it there was very much a sense in whatever year you want to pick 2017 2018 that I think there was a general feeling that a lot of Bucks fans wanted Jeremy and Steve and maybe some of the other guys, but particularly those two guys, to kind of come back and take a victory lap, like like yo, you helped build this thing, and and that like this this random one in a million shot, we got this we got this MVP guy, it's great. Like where are you guys at? And it seemed like from the way outside looking in, like those dudes are just too burned out that they didn't want to at least come back and be like, this is nice. And I, I forget I forget what um, I mean, it must have been a locked in Bucks. Right. But a couple of years ago where you guys did the kind of the reunion episode or a series of reunion yeah. episodes, which which was just fascinating to me. Like, because, again, like, I don't know these people, especially um, maybe Jeremy just a little bit kind of in the early days of me making videos. But but I mean, I don't I don't want to have you speak for them, but it was like we were just like, what, yo, what happened to those guys? We, we made it. We were in the second round. Like, we you know, we're not the eight, we're not the eight seed. Where are you at? You know? Yeah, I well, I mean, I can speak for I mean. Well, I can't. I'm, I, I'm not Steve's PR rep, um, but I mean, Steve was probably one of the most principled people covering the Bucks because I remember when the the when kid coming to Milwaukee happened. I was I distinctly remember I was at a we we had a, a rental on Cape Cod with some friends and everything was going crazy and it was whatever it was you know late June, um, and um, I remember talking a lot with Steve because we were like you know, covering what was happening. And then, you know, Steve pretty much decided, like, I mean, he was like the, like day one fire kid guy because of oh, what, wow. what kid represented. I mean, his background um, with, you know, the abuse stuff and, and kind of just like what he stood for. I think Steve pretty much was just like, I don't, I don't really want to be around for like, I don't, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not here for this. Um, and so I think, you know, I, and I can't remember, like, you know, I'm going to have to check, like, what was Steve's last, you know, last article um, that he wrote for Brew. But I think Steve was just kind of like, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not really fun, fun for me after that. And, you know, he, I mean, obviously Steve, Steve still follows the team. I mean, 
he's not, you know, he's different from Jeremy. Jeremy's kind of, I mean, you know, Jeremy doesn't really tweet at all either. So I haven't talked to Jeremy, I think I talked to Jeremy maybe like a year or two ago. Um, you know, but Jeremy, Jeremy just had like work and he was doing well with other stuff. So I think it was just, you know, it was just like he kind of did it. And because he was covering the team, I think Jeremy kind of lost the fandom, you know, from being so close to the team and kind of getting, mm-hmm. getting that view of the team. So obviously he can, he can speak for himself, but I think that was a big thing for, for Jeremy was, you know, it's just like in the end, the Bucks will screw this up. And, you know, <laughs> I, just, I just don't think he, it just, I don't, just, I don't think it was, I think he just lost the, it just wasn't fun for him anymore. Um, and, you know, he had his, you know, he started doing it when he was in college, I think. And, um, you know, he kind of got into adulthood and had other priorities and, um, you know, more power to him. I mean, you know, uh, it happens to everybody to some extent. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think for Steve, I mean, still Steve's still a huge NBA fan. I mean, still I have a DM thread with Steve. You know, I mean, Steve still tweets about the Bucks. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I think it was I think it was especially for Steve. I think um, I think the kid era, like he really was just like, eh, nah, I'm good. Uh, wow. So um, and, and you know, and he's got he's got kids too. So I mean, he and he, you know. He, uh, I forget how old his, his his daughter his first daughter is, um, but I mean she's I don't know if she's ten at this point, but you know he he was a dad before a lot of us, even though he's younger than me. Um, he was he had a kid relatively early compared to like the rest of us that were that were covering the team. So I mean he just had more stuff going on too. Um, and his wife's a doctor, so I mean they're they're just a busy <laughs> they're <a> busy family. <laughs> so, okay. Um, okay. so yeah, but Steve Steve they're never it's very different, yeah. But I, yeah, I mean I still talk to Steve. I mean I, 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 I it's actually a good reminder. Like we sh- I should do something. I should do a uh, a pod with Steve because I think he'd, I think he'd be up for it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he I'd love to hear that. We I, I think I think there's a side. I mean, and I don't know if it'd be a minority at this point, but I think they plurality of, of Bucks fans. I don't know. Cause there's a weird kind of thing with podcasts where you can listen and not really care. But then when that person is gone, like when Steve on horn was gone from the show, it was like, Oh, this kind of sucks, you know? And then, then we took a while to warm up to Eric and then Eric was, you know, the, I mean, it's then Eric left and we were like, Oh, we were missing Eric, you know? And it's just, I think it's kind of just a cyclical nature of these kind of things. But uh, yeah, yeah, you should definitely do that. I, I I can't. I mean, I, I, maybe I feel like I see his White Sox tweets. Maybe maybe I just have, have missed his Bucks tweets. But um, but yeah, I can't imagine the victory lap. I would uh, to Adam McGee. Adam McGee is is sure that he was the first one to be out on kid. But Adam, I know you're listening. Um, Steve Von Horn was out from day one. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there you have it. No, that that's interesting. So I, I wanted to ask one of the things that you've also uh, said through the years that I found interesting because I think this is probably. People might be shocked. Me and Frank don't totally agree on everything. <laughs> Just one or two things. One or two things. But one of the things that, that I, you're the only person that has ever said exactly the way I, I feel about it. You've talked about Glenn Robinson and how in a weird kind of way you know, this is number one pick and we were rooting. We just needed him to succeed so bad. We were rooting for the Bucks to get the number one pick, you know, and I think their odds were they had the third best odds or something like that. And they got, I remember actually, wow, I haven't thought about this in a long time. I called either 620 or 1130, whatever sports show it was. And I was in high school or whatever. And, and I called and said, this game tonight between the Bucks and the Pistons is the greatest game in Milwaukee Bucks history. Because if we lose tonight, that improves our odds of, of getting, 
Glenn Robinson, which which is completely ridiculous. But I call and they're like, okay, thanks for calling. Right. But we had we were we were so invested in Glenn Robinson to the point that I, I don't think I totally appreciated Ray Allen at the time. Um, but talk talk a little bit about your relationship with the big dog era. Yeah, I mean I, I yeah, I um I remember sitting in my living room. Um, and I guess it would have been sometime in May of 1994, I guess, uh, when the lottery was happening. And my dad was working in our garden, and I distinctly remember the Bucks winning the lottery and running out onto our deck and yelling to my dad, we got the big dog. And, um, <laughs> you know, that I think that was sort of the start of it. Like, and, and I don't, yeah, I, I mean, I think people who probably didn't, you know, people are too young to have kind of watched him in college, probably didn't appreciate. I mean, he was... I mean, one of the the most dominant college players, certainly that you know, I, I can I think in the history of the, the kind of the modern era of college basketball, right? I mean, to put up thirty and ten in the Big Ten and just you know nobody had an answer for him. And so you know, I mean, obviously Grant Hill had was a great player at Duke, um, but you know he wasn't dominant in the way that yeah. that that Big Dog was. So uh, so yeah, I mean, I think there was that. I mean, it, it was a no brainer that you know they were going to pick. Glenn Robinson and you know kid was was fun super highly touted you know awesome player at Cal um but yeah I mean there was no question where the Bucks were going to go and the only question was you know was he going to get the 100 million dollar contract right that was like the, yeah. the the big talking point prior to that draft and and yeah I think I think when I think about myself as a fan um we got season tickets in 1992 um I, I still remember the Lee Mayberry Todd Day draft that was the first um, yeah buddy the yeah first draft that that I I actually went to it. My dad got season tickets and then like they gave us passes to like the draft party thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I remember that and I remember, you know, watching kind of that, that first year and then, you know, Vin Baker was, you know, good and, and it was encouraging, but then to get, to get Glenn, that was obviously that felt like, okay, this is, this guy's our ticket to, you know, relevance. And so I think, you know, a combination of things, one, like we didn't have like analytics that, showed us kind of like how much of an empty calories score he, he was, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like when now is, you know, a 13 year old in a world in 90s, the 1990s where, you know, all we looked at were box scores and, you know, points per game, rebounds per game and, and stuff like that anyway. Um, so even if there were analytics, I probably wouldn't have appreciated them as much, but there really weren't. So, you know, we kind of like j- judge players by kind of, you know, the basic stuff that you did back then. So, you know, there was always that hope and, and he comes in and he immediately averages 21 points a game is his rookie year, you know, okay, you know, where's this going to go from here? Right. Um, but it didn't really go, <laughs> it obviously never really right. went a whole lot further. He was, you know, NBA ready from the start, but obviously the defense, the turnovers, um, you know, he was always the guy I rooted for. Um, the guy that, you know, you hoped had that, that superstardom in him. Um, and I, I mean, I, I remember loving Ray Allen in college at UConn too. And I was really mm-hmm. excited when yeah. I got him. I actually, I, I had hoped they were going to keep Marbury in that draft because I thought, oh, let's get a point guard to play with, with big dog. Um, so I was actually, even though I liked Ray Allen a lot in college, I was actually a little disappointed that they, that they, that they traded the pick. Um, so were you at, were you at that? Cause I was, were you at the, the, the Ray draft. Allen draft party? Yeah. Yeah. At, where, where everyone booed. Yeah. Including yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't remember if I booed, but I remember wanting Marbury over uh, over Ray. Um, so you know, I I was on the wrong side of history, I guess more yes. than a, more than a couple times in the '90s when it came to NBA basketball. But but yeah, I mean, and and obviously Ray, you know, I mean Ray was a, a you know he was a an all star for the Bucks too. Um, 
but also I don't know. But it, I think there was just that sense of like that connection with with Glenn and the hope that he represented. And I'm not saying it's rational, um, but I think it was sort of the combination of, you know, statistically, I couldn't really like see that Ray was, you know, I, I didn't really appreciate that Ray was, you know, um, a more efficient player and and did more things. I didn't, you know, the assist numbers being better. I don't know. I just I just didn't appreciate him as much as uh, as obviously I sh- I should have. And um, and yeah, I just had that, you know. I mean, I was a teenager and he, Glenn was my favorite buck and, you know, that was the hope. So I call it irrational. If I was, you know, 39 then, um, maybe I would have felt differently, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't know that, that was always just kind of a, one of those things that that was a true kind of fan type emotion I felt. And, um, I always kind of held out hope that, you know, he could be better than, than he was. And, you know, but, but I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I, he's a guy I still look back fondly on and, you know, I, I don't appreciate the mid range game as much now, maybe as I did back, back then. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember when he went to the Spurs cause the Spurs were like my favorite non bucks team. Um, I was a huge David Robinson fan. He was my first favorite NBA player. And so I, I, I can, t- I always sort of liked the Spurs up until pretty much when, when Robinson retired, then I kind of like lost interest in the Spurs to a large extent. But, but when Glenn went there and, you know, won that title sort of as that, you know, one of those random end of bench guys, but he had a couple moments in the playoffs, at least. Um, I, I did get some, some satisfaction on that. So that was, I was at least a little bit, a little bit of enjoyment. Like the entirety of, I probably saw two Purdue games and if that or whatever, I think they got to elite eight, but it, it, it all, at least to me, it came down to the quote. The quote was he's the next Larry Bird. And it's like, okay, well, I'm in. He's the next Larry Bird is whatever the quote was, the Sports Illustrated quote, or he's the most complete player since Larry Bird or whatever else. And it it precluded us from entertaining any possibility that Grant Hill and, – and I've never watched uh, box scores as much with, you know, with the old actual newspaper as following the, the rookie of the year um, campaign of, of Hill, Kid, and Big Dog and – seeing J well it was like Jason Kidd only had eight points last night yeah he had eight points and 11 assists and whatever but it, you know there was very much it, it, it kind of it speaks to kind of all our small market inadequacies kind of the rookie of the year campaign of all of that where it's like yeah big dog had 27 points last night you know he might have been 12 or 30 or whatever but you know but Grant Hill had you know Grant Hill had only had 16 points and it, it very much um primed the pump for the conspiracy theories that came out of you know 2001 just this kind of this believing in big dog and uh, and very similar with ray allen i mean i remember thinking that um illogically that cassell just wasn't getting big dog the ball as much as cassell was favoring allen or, or or ray allen can just come right up and shoot a three you know he doesn't have to get his own shot big dog needs somebody to get him a shot and it, it just it seems really silly in retrospect but that's I don't know. It's just kind of what we thought at the time. The thing I do want to say about the the '95 draft party, I just I I just feel like they really dropped the ball. Like like I understand if it was a last uh, second thing that um that they were going to make that trade, but you know we're we're in the arena and Iverson goes one. Everybody knows Iverson's going to go one. And I forget was was it Sharif Abdurrahim was was two. I want to say I don't remember who went three. Was but whoever went three was was kind of a, a little bit of a silly pick in, in retrospect. I think that wasn't was that the McDice year? I guess I could look that up. But 
anyway, it comes right down to it. And, and Marbury's there for us and Marbury's crying and Marbury, you know, and he's, he's dunking and they show all the Georgia tech highlights and all this kind of stuff like that. And very much the idea. Camby was arena. two. I had to just look it up. Camby was two. Abdurrahim oh. was, was, was three and then Marbury four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and so Marbury's crying and all this kind of stuff. And the thought in the arena was, you know, this is somewhat conservative Wisconsin. The Bucks took the look at this guy. Look at this guy with the tattoos, crying, saying he, you know, you know, pride of Queens and all this kind of stuff, or whichever borough he's from. The Bucks took the, the clean cut guy. Oh, look at Milwaukee took the clean cut guy. And I, I liked Ray Allen too, but the, and but I don't feel like that carried over much past you know his first game because Ray Allen was pretty much great the whole time. But yeah, the, the Marbury thing—if they knew they were going to trade for him—they really. I don't know if it was street life or whoever was going, but they really had us, you know, it was like, we got Stefan Marbury and everybody cheers. And then like 10 minutes later, it's like they traded him and everybody booed. But yeah, I haven't so thought about that. They, they they didn't put Warren Wiegratz in, uh, in the, in the war room and uh, they paid the price for it. <laughs> they paid the price for it. Uh, I don't, who do you, how many people do you think are going to get that reference? I don't know. I've never made a Warren Wiegratz reference uh, on, on, on any of my podcasts. Um, so I'm, 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 breaking out the really arc, arc, you know, archaic stuff for, for you. How many people do you think know that they on bulls nights broke out a version of sweet home Chicago called sweet home Milwaukee to troll the 70% of bulls fans who had make, uh, made the drive up that, and then it was I, like didn't, they put, I didn't even know that I actually didn't know. No, no. no and they did like the fake blues brothers and all that, or maybe it was just, they had the fake blues brothers and they, yeah, that, I think, band. I think that I can recall, but I didn't, yeah, the, I, I definitely, um, my, my brain would always just turn off when street life would play. I, I, yes. I don't remember a lot. I remember they added the, the singer. I, I remember, remember they, they had the guy who would sing and I always remember that thought it was weird that it was still Warren Wiegratz and street life. And it was always like <laughs> yes. the saxophonist gets to the, have his name on the band. Like, I just feel like that's, feel like there was always probably a lot of tension in street life over that. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's very, Wisconsin. and I always wanted them to play, you know, DOS effects or whatever I would have wanted them to play at that time. But it was, yeah, I was always happy when they played something kind of more modern, but yeah, they would play sweet home Chicago and then they would wait a beat and they're like, baby, where you want to be. And I, I play sweet home Milwaukee and, and, and everybody, you know, people would cheer, people would boo. And it was, yeah, it's, yeah, that was a really long time ago. The, the the thing I remember most as far as in-game entertainment, it was from that era, though, was the Barkboard. Um, and, of yes. course, the Barkboard, which was like an animated sound meter thing um, that would, you know, basically just try to... I mean, basically, you know, it's just, just underscoring how dumb we are as fans that we get louder when, a, when a, uh, the scoreboard puts on a little graphic that's challenging us to be loud than at any point during the actual sport that we've paid a lot of money to come see. Um, yep. And of course it was, you know, like not, not actually <laughs> reflecting the sound in the Bradley center. But <laughs> yeah. I do, I do remember thinking when I came home in college, so this probably was like 2000, I don't know if it was the, the, the 2000, 2001 season, but I think it was probably the year before that. Um, I remember thinking like, Holy crap, like the crowds have gotten great. Like we're so mm-hmm. loud and I remember, I don't, you remember the phrase Arco East, like people compared yes, the Bradley yes. Center to the Kings Arena, which was at the time, I mean, it's kind of funny to say it now, but at the time, Arco Arena in Sacramento was like known as this like awesome 
place for fans. And we were like the Eastern Conference version of that, which of course, you know, the Bucks being an Eastern Conference version of the Kings had an entirely different meaning that, you yes. know, I don't think it, it, <laughs> it works a lot of different ways. It worked on multiple <laughs> levels, but, um, but yeah, I, I remember there was that, there was that really palpable feeling when I came back and, and went to games after I went to college and, and, you know, the George Carl era started and, um, that was that was really awesome. I, I did get to go to one game of the East Finals after my my I think it was I guess it would have been my it was 01, so I guess it was my sophomore year of college. I came back and uh, and got to see the Bucks win a game, um, which you know was was awesome. But it's also just kind of feels like a blur. Even you know, it's kind of those things. I mean, I was you know 20 years old at the time, so it's not like I was like some young kid. But it still just feels like a total blur that it happened. But, um, but yeah. So the thing about the bark board, I, I don't, I didn't mind that they played this, this kind of silly thing to have to, to pump and any versions of that where they're like, make some noise. I mean, I'm sure they still do that today. The thing about that was not, you know, they'd be like, make some noise and the bark board and everybody gets louder. It's coming out of the third quarter or whatever. That's all fine. What drove me nuts is when they would turn it off as they handed the player, the ball to inbound. And then everyone would be quiet. Yeah. And it's like, no, we're, we don't need the screen for this. We're making a lot of noise. This is great. You know, this this is this is totally going to work. And then everyone would be quiet to the point where then, you know, me and my silly 16-year-old head or whatever, then you'd yell out, I'd yell out some dumb joke afterwards. Because you could hear a pin drop as soon as they turned off the bark board. And it just, it just drove me nuts. Like one of the biggest things, um, uh, Simmons talks about this sometimes. I mean, with this kind of great privilege as a, as a Celtics fan, he's always like, you know, well, you know, the, all this other sound, wow, the end game, the end game, you know, the noise and this, and they got the DJ going. It's like, yeah, dude, you root for the Boston Celtics. Like you, you have great fans and you're always watching a team win or compete. Like we needed all that stuff, right? We needed, I know I did as a kid, we needed balloons. We need all the dumb stuff, all the in arena, uh, entertainment, like, and even with all that, you're right though. Like the mid nineties crowds, we built to this kind of thing of being this great crowd. And after a while they were I feel like some great Marquette crowds in there. And even for the Brewers, it was kind of a thing that we, that we had kind of taught everybody how to be loud. But at the time, like some of those Bradley center games, you know, bucks versus the Hawks in the, in the nineties, it was just dead and it was, it was lame and it was uncool. And so we really built to a kind of this one year crescendo. I, I went to, I went to both Pacer series like 2000 and 2001, the one that they lost to, I, well, I think I went to both of them. Travis Best. Uh, Travis Best. Yeah, but the game before, I went to I went to the year that the the year that the Pacers made the finals, which would have been 0-1 against the Lakers. The year that I think the Bucks still took them five. So was that Travis Best? That was the last the last year because we we were in the conference finals the year after that, I think. Oh, 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 one, oh, one was the big three run, right? That was the yeah. Sixers. Um, so yeah, whatever it was. We, we lost the game I was at, so let's say it was a five-game series and we lost game three and then we won game four and took it to, to the Indiana game five. So maybe that was Travis Best. But but I, I had a job at that point and I spent some money and went lower bowl, and I've told this story before. But I again, because this is pre-9-11, uh, in, my, in my fat farm jean jacket, I took my mom's cooking pot, like a big pot, and just, just held the pot inside my huge, humongous, you know, 90s hip-hop fat farm jacket and bang that pot with the, like a, a metal, like a, I forget if it was a metal spoon or a wooden spoon every time, like Reggie Miller was shooting a free throw. And to this day, I still want to, you could hear it rang throughout the entire BC, like, like just a cowbell. 
and it was just cool. It was perfectly fine. And like, so the loud, like when we got to the point where the Bucks were really like competing in the playoffs, if, if you want to call the first round competing, like it, it, there were some really good crowds for those days. Yeah. And I, I, and that's something that um, it, it's funny. Cause I, I do, I regret not remembering more like specifics about games from going in the nineties. They, they do feel a lot more just like snapshots of things. And I remember, yeah. You know, like I remember specific grand games. Like I remember going to there was a a last game of the season I think where they played the Bulls and the Bulls won, but Big Dog had like I don't yes. know, 37 36. Or it was like 36. 36. Yeah, right. I can remember yeah. too. Yeah. And I remember like oh that was like you know gave me hope going into the next season, right? Um, but it, it is funny how my my like memory of of you know like teams, right? Like when you were like knocking ripping off like drafts and things like that like i remember certain things but then a lot of other things i i don't remember well at all um which i kind of i kind of regret because you know being like uh you know i guess at this point like a a little bit you know certainly among like bucks twitter people i'm I'm on the older side right not not maybe maybe middle of the pack for bucks fans in general but um Mm. but that's kind of one of those things a lot of what i remember are more like kind of sights and sounds and just these kind of like random random things that that for whatever reason you know stuck stuck with me i remember like in these random things i remember we we had our first season in tickets um I, so I'll, I'll say this i was very lucky like my we we had our first season tickets were um they were i think behind the bucks bench like up towards i mean they were like kind of high higher up but it was lower bowl um so you were you know kind of like baseline like aligned with the baseline lower bowl which was you know pretty great way to start your your bucks fan career right and i remember like once like i had to read like read like i think it was a shakespeare play and so i, I literally took the book with me and had to like read in between oh, <laughs> wow. and just random stuff and it's just like it's like why why, wow. why do i remember that you know well it's because you know i i wasn't bored i wasn't not because i'm like not a bucks <laughs> fan like bringing a book to a game but um but yeah there's just these random things and you know yes, that's always... literally the uh millhouse meme the, the, the <laughs> yeah guy, the millhouse guy yeah. stands me yeah exactly but um but yeah it's, it's 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 fun to think back and now obviously since covering the team you know i've i have you know like from like 2000 basically 2006 on you know i would say my not or 2005 on you know um it's sort of that 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 sort of marked the like the rebirth of my bucks fandom i would say in a much more serious way like basically from like bogut on um i i've i i viewed the game fundamentally differently i've i've you know obviously like a shortly thereafter i started writing about the team i was on the real gm board a lot starting with the bogut era and then um obviously writing about the team and also just taking a much more like you know like holistic kind of um you know more looking at analytics and things like that and then just following the team in a different way so so that's sort of it's sort of like there's like two there's like two different phases to my my life as a bucks fan like kind of 1992 to 2005 and then 2005 on so I wanted to ask you, summarizing the last couple of years, obviously the Bucks existed in a certain kind of headspace where, I mean, I love the team. Obviously you love the team, but there was kind of an ironic way to talk about the Bucks. I, I probably should ask this. Are, were the Bucks before you, you know, covered them and did all this stuff, were the Bucks your favorite Wisconsin team amongst, you know, the Packers and the Brewers, or was it pretty close? Yeah, I think the Bucks were always my, I was always, 
the NBA was pretty much always my, my favorite. I mean, I was, um, I was a big fan of baseball, football, and basketball kind of growing up really 1991 is sort of, I was 10 years old. I really started following sports seriously. Um, and I followed all three of those sports pretty, pretty closely. I had, you know, like my favorite players who are not from Wisconsin teams, like Barry Sanders was my favorite NFL player. David Robinson was my favorite, um, uh, basketball player. And then I think Ryan Sandberg was my first favorite like baseball player. Um, and then Barry Bonds was actually one of my other favorite baseball players that I, that I brought for. Um, I think Greg Vaughn was easily my favorite brewer, Vaughn's Valley. Shout out to Vaughn's Valley. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, basketball is always sort of the closest thing for, for me. And, that, and then actually in like the late 90s, I became a big hockey fan as well. Um, but uh, that probably lasted like six or seven years and kind of then I kind of lost lost track of hockey in the early 2000s. But uh, but yeah, but, but basketball is always my number one. I mean, we had a, you know, my driveway hoop that I played in, you know, year round with gloves in the winter, you know, basketball was always my my thing and and so um that that would that's always been pretty consistent for me from really being a, a 10 year old on and i was you know I'll, I'll say as well too like i my neighbor was from chicago and you know in the mm-hmm. early 90s and bucks were never in the playoffs when i started following them so and the spurs never got out of you know the early rounds in the west so i mean i was i i, I was a jordan fan like i he, I, he was probably my Bulls are probably my third favorite team behind, ironically, the Bucks and Spurs, which is kind of weird mm-hmm. to be a, a Bucks mm-hmm. and Bulls fan. I guess if you're like a fan now who didn't grow up then, that might be weird. But I think I think that was not that weird for a kid in the 90s to, you know, a lot of people like Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> yeah, including yeah, people that's... from from Milwaukee who also like the Bucks. And so I, I um, you know, I, I do find myself, I do, I am lucky that I, I think I feel fortunate to have watched, you know, the Jordan era Bulls when I, I didn't see the first title against the Lakers, but I, you know, 92, as I said, 92, 93 was the year that we got season tickets for the Bucks, And so that was the first championship um, that, um, well, I guess, no, not, nah, I guess, no, I, I did watch the 92 finals. Yeah. The, the Blazers one. Yeah. The Blazers. I, I, 91, 92, I guess I, I started following. I definitely remember watching, you know, the shrug game by Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was probably, that was probably the earliest that I really started following basketball. It was probably like the 91, 92 playoffs. And then um, 92, 93, obviously, um, the, um, the, win, the win over the Suns. So, so yeah, I, I, I was able to kind of see five of the six Bulls titles, which now it's kind of funny, you know, people talking about Jordan and how many people like didn't, didn't really see Jordan or were, you know, four years right. old when, when Jordan was, was winning championships. So I, I appreciate, you know, that, um, that I got to see that and appreciate that. And, I don't know. I don't have like really strong opinions about like LeBron versus Jordan. Like, you know, I don't know, little apples and oranges for, in terms of eras for me. But, um, but yeah, I, I really, obviously I was a little spoiled. I mean, as a Bucks fan, you obviously haven't been spoiled in any respect, but no, you know, no. moonlighting as a playoff bulls fan, that was, that was pretty fun considering right. they always won at the, at the end of the day, other than the year Jordan came back, you know, you always knew it was going to happen. I was very much the kid who, when it was library time would go to the sports illustrated. they were kind of in that, that kind of in the newspapers or in that yeah. weird binder sporting kind news, of thing. I, yeah. I would do yeah. sporting news cause I had sports illustrated at home, but I didn't have sporting news. So I would read the sporting news just to kind of fill out my, my reading. Yeah. Right. And, and I was also very much the kid in math class who had the street and Smith's kind of basketball preview or whatever else. But like, like you said, I mean, even you, 
for me, my the first time I saw David Robinson was Sports Illustrated for Kids. It's very much that kind of thing where like all the names you mentioned, you know, um, Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. It was like I wasn't really uh, we didn't have ESPN at that point, but it was just, you know, you learn from magazines. Oh, this is this is Ken Griffey Jr. They call him the kid and his favorite ice cream is this. And it was, you know, it's propaganda by another means. But, yeah, those those that, that's very accurate. So anyway, the last couple the last couple of years. So we, we looked at the Bucks this kind of way for, for many years that, yeah, we love the team, but it's kind of ironic and all that kind of eight seed or bust kind of stuff. And all the names we can mention, you know, Larry Sanders, Villanueva, all these guys who we thought were. I don't know if we ever thought they were going to be a big deal, but I, I mean, I was excited for Brandon Knight. I mean, I'll be honest. I was excited for, for a lot of these guys, you know, at the time I thought John Henson was going to be rookie of the year. I mean, just silly stuff like that. Now we kind of skipped a bunch of steps these last couple of years to, you know, first round exit, first round exit. And before that, just happy to make the playoffs or just to talk about the playoffs. And then all of a sudden we're the number one seed and we're, in a weird kind of way, the defending champs without having won anything. Looking back on these last couple of years, for you, was all this fun or was it just kind of exhausting? I think it was still really fun. I mean, you know, I, I say a lot on our podcast, like, you know, sometimes it feels, especially this season, it felt a lot, you know, during a lot of the season, the regular season, you know, there was sort of this feeling of like, all right, you know, okay, this is cool, but now they have to make it happen in the playoffs or, you know, it it's going to lose meaning or whatever. And I know, I, I think I've said a lot, you know, like I think we tried to regularly say, Hey, let's appreciate Giannis. Let's appreciate what we see night in and night out from Giannis and don't, you know, don't take kind of the historic greatness that, that we're seeing from him or, or even the team to a large extent kind of for granted, because we've seen, we, we haven't seen this before. Right. And, and Giannis, I mean, no matter how long he stays in Milwaukee, I mean, just, appreciate everything he is and he does because i mean when are you going to see a player this good in in a bucks uniform again you may never right there's a very good chance you're never going to see a player as talented as him in a bucks uniform again so i've always sort of tried to appreciate the night tonight and and i think podcasting about the team kind of like almost forces you to you know find meaning Mm -hmm. in in uh in kind of the night tonight stuff and i still love podcasting right after a win right like that doesn't get old to me um, even if the games don't, you know, like the random regular season games don't, don't mean a whole lot to you, but, um, I'm still like a kid. I feel like, you know, when Giannis has a big game and the Bucks win, like I'm in a good mood, right? Like even if it's against the Hornets yeah. or, or whatever, right? I still get really excited about it. So that, that part hasn't changed for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is that sense of, you know, especially this past season of like, well, you know, skepticism of, of how good they really are. And, you know, it doesn't really matter unless, unless they do it in the playoffs. And so, I don't know, I've, I've always sort of meant in my head, like the way I always kind of view it is, you know, I mean, yeah, like we can spend all regular season saying that they haven't won a game that matters, but you know, you can't win uh, a playoff game in November or December or January. I mean, you, you only have what's in front of you. And as a fan, I, you know, I, I, I try to appreciate, you know, I guess this year, 72 games, but but previously 82 games kind of for what they are. And, um, you know, the night to night entertainment of what it is, I, I still greatly appreciate it. I, you know, I guess it's fitting as a Bucks fan that I would maybe find more value in the regular season than, <laughs> yeah. uh, than many people, but, um, but I've still enjoyed it. Um, I think I'll say this. I, I, I remember, I remember I was, uh, in Dallas for work during the 18, I was like, 
February of 2019, I guess. Um, and hearing the Miritich deal and like checking on my phone. And I remember going down the elevators yeah. to grab some lunch. And I remember stepping out of the elevators and having this feeling of, I mean, the Bucks had the best record in the league at that point, but I mean, let's keep in mind, this was still like KD Warriors era, right? So there was still always this feeling of like, well, everybody's just, <laughs> you know, everybody's sort of playing for second place. But yeah. when, when the Miritich trade happened, I started to think, I like really started to entertain like, they could really win this championship. Like this could really happen. And so I think that was sort of a, a, you know, I think sometimes when we look back at the last two years, we think of it as this like continuous block of like the Bucks were awesome and disappointed in the playoffs, you know, but I mean, it was really a process to kind of build to feeling like they could actually win a championship. Like it wasn't like we started the eighteen nineteen season thinking that, you know, that they should go to the finals. Right. We thought, Think right. we, th- we hope that that could be a thing, but I mean, they were not, they were not picked to win the East by pretty much any expert. Right. Um, so I think there was this process of realization of how good they can be and, and what might happen and how good Giannis was. And he's made the leap. He is the MVP front runner. That was, you know, 18, 19, I think was for the most part, like the, mo- I mean, that would have to be kind of like the most fun. Right. Cause that's when yes. expectations were lowest relative to performance. And Giannis kind of made that leap to, you know, to, to that MVP level, which I mean, he was close to it the year before, but, but obviously he didn't actually win. So that'll probably be like the most fun in, in many ways. And obviously they got further than they have in, in any other year other than uh, the big three era uh, in terms of the playoffs. So, um, so that was, you know, I don't know if that, I don't know if you could say that's like the honeymoon or something, but, um, but yeah, I mean, this last season, I think you could easily be very cynical about it and just be like, well, they got to win a championship. What's Giannis going to do and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I still really enjoyed kind of the game to game aspect of it. And um, I don't know. I mean, like if, if you can't appreciate kind of the random games, <laughs> I don't know, then to me, then you're not as big of an NBA fan as, as I am. Right. Like if, if you only care about the playoffs, then that's fine. That's just kind of a different type of fan than, and, you know, to each their own, not everybody can, waste as much time thinking about basketball mm-hmm. as I do, but um but I, I still kind of enjoy being somebody that that enjoys the night tonight and watching every game until the final whistle and yeah uh and taking that appreciation out of it. So so I mean I I've still largely enjoyed it and you know the bubble was the bubble felt like just such a an outlier, you know, like everything about it as a as a viewer and everything was just different and especially being a fan of the Bucks in the bubble, you know, it just never really felt Basically, it's from the Rockets game on, you know, which was what the second game um, when they blew that game. I don't know. It just yeah. felt like something was was not quite right with them. And you know, Kyle Korver had those like kind of ominous comments <laughs> about like, yes, you know, that was kind of like, man, I, I remember him saying that, oh, I was, and no. I was just like, that sounds kind of serious. Like, whoa, like okay. Um, and you know, unfortunately, obviously, it just it just never they just never looked like quite the same team. And and I don't know, but but I think. I think that maybe for the best, you know, like, I think if you, if you look pretty good and then you can make excuses and, you know, you have a reason to think like, well, you know, we can just run it back and it'll be fine. I, I don't know that that would actually be a, a good thing. Right. I think ca- kind of having the worst case scenario and maybe there were a lot of extenuating circumstances for that, but, but maybe that's kind of the, kind of the kick they needed to make some changes and kind of go in a slightly different direction from where they'd been. But, but again, I, I think, I definitely ended, I mean, I've definitely kind of gotten to a much more 
I'd say sober sort of view of you know what what the odds are of winning a championship right because i mean yeah. even when you're the best team in the league unless you're the warriors like it's not like there's a 60 percent chance you're going to win a championship like it's always you know like you've got a one in four chance or wh- whatever it mm-hmm. is right like you're probably not going to be better than a one in four one in three chance so odds are you're you're not winning a title um and obviously with the way the bucks ended the season well obviously they're you know they, they took a hit from from where they were so i, I don't know i mean i I'm I'm always obviously hopeful that they're going to change some things and put themselves in a better position. And, you know, hopefully all the, you know, I mean, you could go up and down the roster and, you know, find people who, and, and coaches who didn't give you what you would have wanted against the heat. Um, and so hopefully that changes, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, sort of like when people were talking about like getting rid of Bud and replacing him and I don't know, I felt very, at that that was probably where I felt most fatalistic because it was sort of like, well, they're probably not winning a championship with Bud, but they're probably not winning a championship with anybody. <laughs> yes, <else. laughs> yes, yes. I don't, I don't hate him, and I'm not even mad at him, but but I feel like he killed my dog, and I, I and I didn't expect, I didn't expect that. <laughs> probably my favorite Packer still is uh, is is Brett Favre, but certainly the person who's hurt me the most in sports is is Brett Favre, and so the kind of feeling, I mean, it's cliche, but that kind of relationship between pleasure and pain, um, I forgot the Bucks could hurt me this much as, as the last couple of years um, uh, revealed. And it was like, oh yeah, there's that old feeling. Oh yeah, we're frauds. Oh, I, I remember how this felt, you know, and it's just so, but we can blame it on the bubble. To some degree, we can put it on the bubble a little bit. And so we go right back to kind of the rationalizing. And I, I'd like to think of myself as an optimist, but uh, the last couple of years, um, the last couple of years, uh, bittersweet. Bittersweet is probably the word. So is there any particular um, free agent that you would prefer to take um, out of all the name? We know the names. Um, Bogdan, Eladipo, Chris Paul, Gallinari, Heal, these other guys. Is there any is there anyone that you feel like is the perfect fit that that you would endorse? Um I think the guy that I can find the least um the guy the guy that would uh, I think provides an upgrade without like creating like a huge concern about the short term or long term would probably be Drew Holiday just because He's not like Chris Paul old. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he's obviously yeah. better offensively than Bledsoe. I would certainly trust him more in a playoff series offensively than Bledsoe. Um, but he's like pretty much the only guy out of that group that like would actually upgrade your like backcourt or, or, or at least keep it roughly even defensively. So it's not like, you know, I mean, I like Bogdanovich, but then it's just like, okay, well, if you trade for Bogdanovich, then like is... George Hill, then your starting point guard is Bogdanovich, your starting point guard, even though he's kind of a combo guard and defensively, you obviously have concerns about that. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think all those guys are, are interesting to me. You know, I think I, I definitely have a degree of, you know, kind of grass is greener where I, I feel like they have to make some move. Right. I don't, I don't know what you can get for blood for blood. So obviously mm-hmm. um, given his market, the, you know, the market for a guy like him, can't be can't be large um and so it's such a weird thing because it's like you're going to trade a guy and almost certainly get someone who's going to be a worse regular season player but the bar for the playoffs is so low with him as well 
that it's like, you know, it's like you start having these thoughts of like, well, there's no way Dennis Schroeder could actually be worse than him in playoffs, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, exactly. And exactly. It's like, and it's like, I don't even know if Dennis Schroeder is like good, but you know, uh, but it, it, you just kind of get to all these weird places. It's such a strange, the Bledsoe situation is such a strange conundrum to kind of be in because he's continued to be such a, you know, good uh, regular season player. And obviously defensively that carries over into the playoffs, but the offensive stuff and just the nerves and just, I know just like the mental fragility um it's just such a i don't know like you almost worry if it's like contagious or something like that too right like and and just going into playoff series is like the whole team must be thinking like is eric gonna do this again right <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know and I, I feel really bad i mean i'm a bucks fan i'm rooting for the guy like he's a guy i liked i, I mean i liked the trade for him i thought it was a thing that that was worth you know rolling the dice on um and you know obviously he's again he's been everything you'd want for what he is, you know, in the regular season. Um, you know, you wish obviously he was a better perimeter shooter, but you know, you kind of knew that going in that that was sort of the, the deal. Um, but for him to kind of be the way he is in, in the playoffs, just, you know, when, whenever it matters most that, that he's kind of fallen short. Um, it's just, man, it's just tough. So I, I don't know. I may feel, you know, again, as like a, a human being who roots for a team, I feel bad that I sort of want to kick Bledsoe to the curb and, I definitely have a degree of trepidation about kind of what, what trading him is going to mean, you know, cause what are you going to get back for him? Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting spectrum, right? Cause I mean, I think if you're, if you're just thinking about next year and you know, you're talking about roughly this, if it, you know, and again, I know it's not the same trade package for all those players, but you know, if you were kind of assuming it more or less is um, I mean, Chris Paul, obviously, like if I could just pick one of those dudes, if he actually, you know, Giannis actually liked him and wanted to play with him, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, Chris Paul would be awesome for a year or maybe two. Um, but, you know, just like making that work with the cap and, you know, doesn't seem like Giannis actually wants to play with him. And just yeah. obviously Chris Paul is a personality, let's say, um, you know, and, and again, I, if, if Giannis liked him, I would, you know, I would definitely feel like, you know, if, if that was like something that seemed like the Bucks were actually going to pursue I could probably try to talk myself into it just, you know, from a very, like our window is now like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no, you know, there may not be a tomorrow with Giannis, that kind of perspective. But, um, but then I think when you kind of zoom out and you think about the age and, and the fact that, yeah, you actually do want to be competitive, you know, over a longer period when you have a guy Giannis's age, um, then obviously like other, other options become, become more interesting. Um, and, and obviously all those guys are, you know, younger, a lot younger than, than Chris Paul. So, so I don't know. I think holiday maybe, I mean, holiday's 32, right? So 30, not 32, but 30 comma T O O. Uh, so he's not young either. And you know, he could, he could leave after next season if he opts out of his player option. So it's not like there's like any, like, you know, really easy, easy move to be made, especially given that none of these guys yeah. are going to be free. Um, but, but that might be, that might be kind of my, you know, ideal outcome would be something that, that lets nets you, Drew Holiday, and you know you still have most of your supporting cast. I, I'll say this too, just kind of in addition to this. I mean, I get why there's a lot of people who are increasingly open to trading Brook Lopez, but I really don't want to trade Brook Lopez. I, I, I really want to, and I like mm-hmm. him as a person and as a player. And I, I mean, like I don't think the Bucks have lost because they've tried to play with Brook Lopez. I mean, that to me, that's not really been the takeaway of the last two playoffs to me. Um, 
So I, I still wish you could find a way to make it work with Brook. Um, but, but I don't know. I think that's one of the really interesting questions, which I don't, I don't think we know the answer to is, you know, would Bud and Horst, like, what's their view of, of Brook Lopez? And, you know, for what type of player would they actually put him into a deal? Um, you know, is it a guy of the level of Drew Holiday or, or, you know, is that, is that too high, high of a price to pay? Cause I think, um, I mean, Brooks had some great playoff performances for us. Like yeah. the Raptors series, like Giannis looked afraid in the last two games they lost in the Raptors series. Like Brooke actually like came to play in those games. Like I, I actually have a lot of faith in Brooke and, and his ability to show up in the playoffs. And obviously we have concerns about, you know, pretty much everybody else has had maybe not uniformly bad playoffs, but you know, Bledsoe is sort of the poster child, but it's not like everybody else, including Giannis has been like awesome when they, when they need them right. to be in the playoffs. And, and I feel it feels a little bit, you know, rough that, that Brooke would be the guy to get kicked to the curb when I know it's a positional thing and playing Giannis at center and all that stuff. But, um, but, but I don't know, it's, um, it's going to be, it's also kind of crazy how soon these decisions are going to have to be made. Right. I mean, we're in early November and, you know, these are probably things that are going to get figured out in the next few weeks, obviously. I would like, I mean, and I think actually you mentioned the Corver quote, quote. I think that's what the Corver quote I'm extrapolating obviously was about is just kind of this air of lack of accountability. Like if the Bucks play and Giannis is awesome, the Bucks are probably going to win. I don't mean just statistically, but the games where Giannis has it working, the 40 point Giannis games, the Bucks are just going to win. The games where Chris is hot and Giannis, they're just going to win. But, but I feel similarly about Bledsoe. I just feel like Bledsoe is probably the, the slowest antelope that's going to get eaten at this point, but it, but and and I would prefer not to have like so Chris Paul seems to be kind of like the you know the vocal jerk. I would prefer not to have to bring in crazy leadership guy. It'd be nice to just kind of bring in you know kind of a just another adult to kind of do this because when the team is clicking on all cylinders, they could beat anyone. But it's just Bledsoe takes so much off the table when he's not playing well. And I think, but I wonder, but I, I don't feel like when we watch the Bucks games that you feel like you watch the Bucks yell at each other or, or point at, well, it, it, I haven't seen the Bucks yell at each other and point at where somebody should be since Jabari. Right. And we know what that was kind of about, but it, you know, the Bucks show up if, if, if they're hot, they win. And, and if not, it wasn't their night. And then, you know, we, when we get to the playoffs, the game changes so, so drastically that just all of a sudden it, it's really frustrating because I feel like we were so close last year, two years ago, I guess now. And could we have won with Bledsoe? Yeah, sure. But it just, it just, it just didn't happen. And now we need another adult or, 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 or Frank Matten. We could perhaps pull the trigger on a bigger trade involving someone with a big salary. <laughs> what is that trade? Pray tell. Tell me, tell me what that big trade is that, and and what what type of player does it get you? Are you talking like a Brad Beal, Chris Middleton type type move? Is that is that what you're thinking? Wow, that's hmm, I, I, man, I'd have to think about that. Would we want to do that? Would we do that kind of deal? I don't know. There are there we we've made an hour without me mentioning Chris Middleton. I I am gonna get a, a hot fudge Sunday after this. I've really done something here. Um, th- th- there's a possibility. There's there's options. There's there's trades I would look at. Um, but. I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing like anybody else. It just, um, it's, it's fun to talk about. Let's say that. Yeah. And I mean, my thing with Chris is, I mean, it's sort of like a year ago when you're, you're going to free agency, it's sort of like, all right, well, what are your options? Right. And I mean, obviously I'm, I would say I'm in the, you know, 
clearly on the kind of Chris Middleton defender end of the spectrum when it comes to sort of like Bucks fans, um, far away from from you, obviously. But but uh, but you know, my whole kind of thing last summer was, you know, okay, well, lay me out the like, what what is the plan? I mean, I, I think with with a lot of like a lot of the sort of anti Middleton thing was, well, don't pay him because you know, dot 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 and flexibility and get a better second star or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, you know, again, if you can just not sign Chris and then sign Brad Beal, like to me, that's, that's actually like a very reasonable plan that someone could put, but obviously that, that wasn't, you know, that's not like, that wasn't something that you could just do. Um, I mean, if you tell me that you can trade Chris Middleton for Brad Beal straight up, you know, I'd say, okay, that's different. Like, I think that would actually be something that you would, I mean, I'd probably do that just because of age and, um, you know, just to do something different probably. Um, but I don't think Washington's doing it. Like why would Washington do that? Right. I don't, I don't really see that the reason for, for Washington to do it. And so it's sort of like, you know, I just sort of come back to the idea of, I I'd have a hard time seeing that the best version of the bucks is, you know, Giannis plus somebody that you got for Chris Middleton versus Giannis, Chris, and then, you know, somebody that you got for other pieces, including draft picks and things like that. But I don't know. I mean, again, it's like, I'll offer my opinion. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, the Bucks have to keep Chris Middleton forever. Um, but I think, you know, again, I think he has, and I think there is also the dimension of, I think he has good rapport and, com- and he, I think he does compliment Giannis well. Um, and ultimately, you know, having kind of wings who can shoot and play make and, you know, be, be at least adequate defenders. I think um, there's obviously a lot of value in that. So if you could add another player to to that, you know, to that pairing, that to me that is probably a more reasonable way to, you know, take that step that the Bucks haven't taken. Um, but is Chris Middleton? You know, it's like Kane and I were talking about, like, is Chris Middleton untouchable? No, he's not untouchable. But no. you know, is is there a trade that actually you know makes you better? And I think you know, <laughs> Bledsoe. I mean, Bledsoe is just so unique because it's like he's just been such a bad playoff player that, you know, he doesn't have much value, but you still feel like you probably have to move him. Um, And, and obviously with, with these other guys, I think, you know, the other guys, including Brooke, including Chris, I mean, I would much rather keep and kind of build with those guys and and see how you can use some of these other guys to, to maybe kind of make a play for, for a better player. But I don't know, you know, I I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's a team that, that would come calling. I mean, I, I still feel like with Washington, you know, Washington to me, like I, I would think that they're looking for that, you know, like Anthony Davis type hall of young players and picks and things like that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really see what kind of what Middleton yeah. does for for kind of their long term. Now, is there like a three way something or other that, you know, maybe maybe does something better? You know, maybe, but um, but I think just with where the Bucks are, you know, they want players who are really really good right now to help them win championships next year, and so. You know, typically when you trade a guy in, at Chris's stage, um, you know, it would be to a team that is trying to, you know, do something different. You know, it'd, it'd be to a team like the Bucks, not a team, yeah. um, a team at the other end of the spectrum, right? So, um, so again, I, I, again, just from a more from a practicality standpoint, I just don't really see a Middleton deal that makes sense. I think he probably is more valuable to the Bucks than, you know, maybe not every team in the league, but certainly to the extent that, you know, teams are risk averse and don't just make moves. I think he's, he's pretty much a lock to stick around. Well, the frustrating thing is I think you'd probably agree that the two years ago lose to the Raptors bucks. If you take Bledsoe out and put, you know, the 29 year old version of Mike Conley jr. Mm-hmm. 
and Brogdon and Brooke, like that, that team could win a championship. And if you want to say Chris is the second best player on that team, then can the Bucks win a title with Chris being the second best player? Well, under those, under that kind of scenario. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It just, it just didn't shake out like that. And now kind of everything is in question. So I've kept you a little bit, Frank Madden, how long can you keep this up? Um, I mean, you know, my daughter's getting older. Um, I mean, I survived like the newborn stage. So I feel like that that's, that's pretty promising. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to keep doing this. I, I think if Giannis leaves, that's probably the big question for me. Like if Giannis leaves, obviously you're, you're back. I don't know if, you know, maybe you're not back at square one, but you're pretty much back at square one in terms of building towards a championship. So I think if that happens, I've thought about this a little bit, like if Giannis leaves, I mean, I'm not, it's, I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, lose interest in the Bucks and like not be a fan of them anymore. But, you know, I mean, I'm already podcasting a lot less here this off season than I probably ever have before just because of work and just like not feeling like there's stuff that really, you know, like makes mm-hmm. me feel like I want to jump on and, and talk about it. Um, so that's probably the big question is, you know, and, and hopefully Giannis leaves, you know, 10 years from now. <laughs> so, so I have a long, right. a long, uh, runway of, of talking about great bucks teams but um you know if Giannis left and then like you know next off season or something like that i don't know like could i still podcast you know multiple times a week talking about this team just given everything else kind of happening in my life and you know personal stuff and all that i don't know right i mean ultimately i think for me um, as a fan it's it's kind of that emotional decision right and are the bucks i don't know i mean it's sort of those things if if it would really at the end of the day it's like is it interesting enough to to always want to talk about. And the one thing I will say is, you know, being not living in Wisconsin, this is a, for me, this has always been a connection to where I'm from, right? It, it this means more to me because I don't live in Wisconsin. I think if yeah, I me lived too. in, me I, too. I think, yeah, because I think if I lived in Wisconsin, I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever would have done any of this because I would be talking to my friends at work and, you know, whatever. I could go to bars and, you know, like watch games and feel like I have that sense of community, but I, I can't do that. Um, there, there is a group of, of uh, Bucks fans here in Austin that I will watch games with every once in a while, not since March, obviously, but, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I don't know. I, that's, I mean, that's a big part of this. I should have really spoken to it previously, but, but that's a really major part of, you know, I think following a team rather than a player. Like I will, I will, I will root for Giannis wherever he goes. Um, if he leaves Milwaukee, I definitely want to see him win a championship. I feel like I have a, He's and I usually am not like that. Like I usually. What, what if What if he was a Laker though? Um. Yeah, I'd probably still root for him. You know, I, I mean, I don't. I don't really hate. I hate the Celtics. Um. I. Okay. I've, what if he's a Celtic? <laughs> what, if, um, what if he's a Celtic? That would be really tough. That would probably be the <laughs> toughest scenario. I, I still like him so much as a person. Um. Depending on, on depending on the let's say it would depend on the circumstances, but I I could still see myself even rooting for him in in Boston. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't foresee having to ever confront that. But uh, but we'll see. I think. Um, but yeah, I think that's the question. It's just you know, once once the Giannis era Bucks are over, I could see myself just kind of downshifting to, you know, podcasting every once in a while when someone remembers remembers that I, you know, used to write about the Bucks and might still have opinions and also tweet tweet somewhat about about the NBA <laughs> but um but I don't know that, that's the question so um I don't know do I expect to be doing this when I'm you know 60 probably not but 
who knows? Maybe I will. You know, I, I, I'm, I'll still be a, a Wisconsin expat. I'm not going to be starting a Packers <laughs> podcast or you know a Brewers podcast. So yeah. I don't know. There'll probably be some. You know, there there is I think obviously some degree of this. Of course, like from your ego, it's like fun that you know you have a you have an opinion that people like for whatever reason like find interesting enough to listen to or to read about or read tweets of. You know, like that's of course that's kind of fun. You know, to have your opinions vaguely matter <laughs> at least yeah, in this yeah. really niche in this really niche world so <laughs> mm-hmm. that's probably one one aspect of course like i don't want to you know that, that that part is fun what Just a heel turn it would be yeah, if, if, if if um Giannis went to the celtics and then you left for locked on celtics and oh, just, yeah. <laughs> just went with the team. <laughs> traveling Giannis fan traveling you, Giannis you took- fan yeah, you took Frank Madden with you. So, Frank, um, let's get you out of here on rapid fire. Now, I know you've probably not had um, any experience or witnessed anything like this, but our proprietary game that we like to play is called rapid fire. Now, the way this works, Frank Madden, is I ask a question and then you give back the answer as quickly as possible in a rapid fire fashion. Does that so, make sense? So, in, in under 15 minutes per question, that seems like more of my style, but I can try. If you think I'm going to tell you to shut up, you got another thing coming, but we'll, we'll give it a try. All right. Frank Madden, are you ready for rapid fire? I'm ready. Go. Other than Giannis, who is your favorite Milwaukee Buck of the last 10 years? The person that I had the most hope for, we didn't talk about Jabari in the context of Michael and Robinson enjoyment, but I think there's a lot of parallels there. And I think they're... You know, there's a there, there's a version of the world where Jabari has a very Glenn Robinson type career. So I think I was most excited for those first couple of years of Jabari, other than other than sort of the Giannis Giannis view, which is fun funny because of course I obviously changed my tune on Jabari to a large extent, but I, I was really excited for him when he was kind of having those first couple of years. You got me smiling because yes, that was in the only article I ever written. Yes, the, the Jabari big dog parallels are right there, uh, without a doubt. But anyway, that's not rapid fire. Rapid fire. Question number two, Frank Madden. Right now, you can make Giannis a 35% three-point shooter, or you can make him an 80% free throw shooter. <laughs> Which do you choose? 80% free throw shooter. I my emotional health would be would be far stronger if Giannis uh, shot 80%, or at least if he didn't like airball as many free throws as he did, because I feel like the air balls last year were just like out of control for, for anybody, let alone a guy that was shooting you know, in the 60s. Uh, I, I literally have to walk away from the screen and do like a little 180 when you guys say, yeah, it's, 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 it's just, the air balls are just the worst. Um, will the Milwaukee Bucks make the conference finals this year? My first, I, I'm feeling cynical. I was feeling cynical, so my first thought was no. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, like I, I don't know that I think the Heat are like. I don't know. I don't know that the Heat are like super sustainably like great. So, and and Toronto, who knows where Toronto will be? Um, so, I I feel like it's a toss up, but I'll 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 I mean I'll try to be an optimist. It's the off season. I'll try to be an optimist and I'll say sure. I gotta be honest. That um, pregnant pause that you just laid out. If I make a trailer for this podcast episode, will definitely go in. Be <laughs> asking that. You being like, ah, perfect, perfect answer. These are perfect answers. Thank you so much. The Garden of Eaton slice at Rocky Rococo's. Again, that's the one that's meatless, mushrooms, onions, green peppers, tomatoes, and black olives. Frank Matten, yay or nay on the Garden of Eaton? 
I'm an extra cheesy superoni super slice guy, so no. Nay on the Garden of Eden. Nay on the Garden of Eden. I, I think my dad used to say it was healthy. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a super slice, both the, the, the sausage and the pepper. I'm a super slice kind of. I, I don't, I usually just get like multiple slices of, regular slices of cheese and pepperoni when I go now. Obviously, I don't go very much, but I will. Like I'll go, um, I'll go home right for Christmas, and then I'll be like, oh hey, uh, I gotta go run some errands, and then I'll go to either the Bay Shore or the Brown Deer one, and then I'll get like three slices of cheese and pepperoni, and uh, and just like sit there by myself and like just crush Rockies by myself at like you know 11:30 on a Tuesday during yep. the holiday yep. season, and I have no, yeah, the no ba- regrets about that. The Bayshore one, I, I live sort of by Bayshore. The Bayshore one was totally mine. That that the Rockies that used to be by that blockbuster that was right over there was uh, was my Rocky Rococos. But yeah, that, that um, was that was uh, this isn't rapid fire, but but that was the uh, that was the one I took. My every Friday, my mom like in in like middle school, my mom would take me to Bayshore, and we'd order a small pizza at Rockies, and then I would go to the was it Capital Collectibles, like the card store that was there. Yep. And I would go to the Capital Collectibles, um, and then she would go whatever, like Boston store or something. And then we would, you know, 20 minutes later or whatever, we would meet back at Rockies, drive home with uh, with the Rockies pizza, um, which I still think the yeah, the whole pizza is like the best form. Um, the best form is in restaurant coming to you in the pan. I think that's the most superior kind of mm-hmm. factor. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my Friday, and I remember, you know, buying Glen Robinson rookies and stuff like that opening packs i was a big basketball card guy when i was uh, see I, I was more a comic book guy so i would go to whatever the sam not sam goody sam goody had the music kind of on the other end of the mall but we used to take music lessons very briefly in that brass bell that was kind of on that other kind of right right around that turn where later they put all coffee. but yeah i remember i remember the collectibles too that was uh wow i haven't thought about that in a long time either Anyway, this is the slowest rapid fire. This is the Civil War musket of, of, of rapid Del fire. Vidova, the Matthew Delvedova <laughs> yeah. jump shot version. Yes, I'd have it no other yeah, way. This, this is like the Bill Cartwright of, of, of slow loading <laughs> shots. Um, where was I? Where's my notes? Um, who is the actor that Frank Matten feels best portrayed Batman? Um, Christian Bale would be, the I guess, the obvious one for me. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I had the videotape. We had a VHS tape of the, the 1989 Batman, so I've seen that movie. We had, like, no VHS tapes growing up for whatever reason, uh, but we had that one, and so I've seen the, the 1989 Batman, like, crazy number of times, uh, and I, I generally really enjoyed Michael Keaton's version of it, um, but I would probably say... I'm, I'm a big Christian Bale fan in general, so I think his voice... Batman voice stuff was kind of corny at times, um, but I, I guess by default I'll, I'll go uh, I'll go Batman version of Christian Bale. Excellent answer. If the Bucks fail this year, will Coach Bootenholzer be fired? Probably, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess probably. I mean, it probably depends a lot on Giannis, right? If Giannis says he's got to stay, then, <laughs> then he'll stay. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I think, yeah, it would be pretty tough if he short again what is your favorite movie featuring the recently departed sean connery hmm good question um i enjoy i mean i have seen and have enjoyed the original kind of the early bond movies um i don't know them well enough that i could like list off like which one i enjoyed the most um but other than that um you know 
Hunt for Red October would probably be close to the top, which is weird because he yes. like played a Soviet sub commander with the like yeah. Scottish accent, yes. Um, yes. which is a, that's a choice, I guess. But um, <laughs> I just always think one of my like favorite random random movie quotes is uh, when he's in the, the you know like the whatever the engine room or something of of the Red October with do the voice, do the voice, yeah, do the voice. Says, anyway, okay, here we go. <laughs> And Jack, do be careful. Some things in here don't react too well to bullets. I enjoyed. <laughs> I always enjoyed that that line. That was good. That's great. That that that, that is the line. That is the line. Probably second even, is. The... I can't even really remember like that many other like. I mean, The Rock and there's stuff like that. But I, I honestly don't even remember yeah. like a lot of other like Sean Connery movies that I like really liked. Are there, is there like an obvious uh, one I'm like missing right. here? No, no. I think that's I think that's the one for 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 young for for uh, young men of of a certain age. Whatever movie, whatever movie he did with Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Was, in, entrapment. Uh, but yeah. but yes, I think the Hunt for Red October is. Um, I feel good. Uh, kind, yeah, that, that, that's good. G- give me a ping, Vasily. One one ping only, please. Uh, question number. <laughs> this is slowest to get right. Okay, so Frank Madden, I will give you Chris Paul this year, and I will guarantee you, by means of my time machine, I will guarantee you a championship this upcoming year. You can take that deal right now, guaranteed, with the knowledge that things after this year will go badly. Do you take that deal? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a championship, I'll take a championship. I'm not, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get greedy. I'll, I'll take any, I'll, I will, any, any championship that Giannis can claim in Milwaukee is, um, is worth its weight in gold to me. So if it means that, that things go downhill after this, I, I think I'm, I think I'm willing to, to take that. I mean, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'll come back. For the, I'll come back. I'll come back for the parade. Post COVID, we'll have parades again. Hopefully, yeah. um, I would that that would be my peak. Then I can retire as a Bucks podcaster. I kind of feel like Frank Madden would be part of this parade at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get like the, the drop top and uh, you know, just like for, like behind yeah. the last police escort, just like trying yeah, to get yeah. trying to be a part of it. Yeah. No, you, you and Gary, you and Gary. Oh, I'm me sure and Gary. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, the two sides of you know, two sides of, <laughs> of the same, the same point. Oh, um, <laughs> all right, our penultimate question: No equivocations, no ties, no, no, none of that. Like watering it down. Who is the greatest basketball player that Frank Madden has seen in his lifetime? Well, I already told you. I, I kind of so. Um, I mean, I've seen Jordan and I've seen LeBron. Um, greatest player maybe maybe I will maybe I will edge LeBron just because of the longevity of, of kind of his his dominance um, but I'm you know it's it's those two guys you know again seeing seeing Jordan in the in the 90s was was obviously kind of just a different different type of thing um, I mean, you could say Tim Duncan if you want, but no, but no, I think yeah, yeah, I think I think it's pretty clearly one of those two guys. I mean, and I will say this too. I mean, watching Giannis do the kinds of things that he can do in person, like I, I feel like we've become way too numb to the types of things he can do. Um, so who knows? I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily think I'm going to have a different answer. That the answer will be Giannis in five years, but um, I don't think it's out of the question either. Got it. And our final question for Mr. Frank Madden, who's been very gracious with this time. Frank, will the Bucks win a title in our lifetime? 
in our lifetime, I mean, I hope I hope I live a long time. I mean, we may have, you know, like um, I'm reading uh, the um, the science fiction trilogy, the uh, three body problem, and then and the, the the ones that come after it, which involve uh, like being able to put people into hibernation and waking them after two years, two hundred years, and things like that. So um, let's. If we assume that maybe one of us gets cryogenically frozen and, and reanimated in like a hundred years, I, I'll, I'll say I'll say yes, but I'm I'm like at like 51% if we include like you know cryogenic hibernation scenarios for us. Um, so hopefully hopefully uh, hopefully the answer is yes. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think probably yeah. I mean, like the, in the history of sports, like it's it's crazy the Bucks have gone 50 years without a championship, right? So hopefully we each live another you know. I guess hopefully at least 40, 50 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so if they can't win in a hundred years, I feel like you know that would be that would be very, very strange in the grand scheme of, of sports history. So I'll take a I'll take the optimist view if you call it that and say say yes, but I'm not with a lot of confidence. Awesome. That's that's the perfect answer for a Milwaukee Bucks fan. Just to, <laughs> not without a uh, lukewarm, yeah, <laughs> a science fiction answer. That's a perfect answer. Um, so again, Frank, we'd like to uh, thank you very much again for the time and uh, want to stress this again. Really, I mean, we're basically the same age, but for people of my generation who grew up with Johnny Mac, in in a weird kind of way, you became kind of the Johnny Mac of our of the blogosphere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the one I, I I've got people who I've blocked and people who have blocked me, but nobody has a bad word to say about Frank Matten and you kind of the, the, the one uniting factor, uh, in, in the fan base. And we'd also like to thank, I'd like to say, uh, again, thanks very much for your, uh, video support, uh, through the years, the Frank Matten bump on, on the various Tatonia world videos was a very real thing at, at a certain point I had it kind of locked down where, a retweet from Eric was about 800 and kind of um, Adam and Jordan was about 500 and the Frank Madden bump was about 1400 views uh, through the years. So we kind of had that. See analytics, analytics people, but we'd like to <laughs> say, say thank, we'd like to say, Hey man, th- thank you very much. Um, come on back whenever you like and um, um, appreciate our friendship through the years. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I mean, you know, you making awesome and thoughtful videos about the Bucks. Uh, I mean, there's there's no need to thank me for just plugging those or pasting those into posts. I mean, I didn't get to 2,000 posts by writing thoughtful things 2,000 times. Sometimes it's <laughs> look at the sweet video. Um, so, yeah, you've been uh, obviously a, someone who's contributed a lot to, uh, in spite of your Chris Middleton takes, you're still someone who's contributed a lot to uh, to, to our Bucks universe and um yeah let's do it again yeah sometime next season hopefully uh hopefully we have some positive things to talk about and can revisit hopefully that's before i retire as a as a bucks podcaster yeah. uh we can we can do it again yeah I, I may retire when i see the blue jersey but um what's your top five jerseys i feel like i just assume they're the ones i don't like i don't like the purple jerseys so i assume you like those and i assume you like some of the like more random seventies ones that like aren't as cool. That's just what I, what I assume or like the early eighties ones, which are fine, but I don't know what, what's your, what's your favorite. What, what are your, what are your like top few jerseys? Uh, the 1974 one that has the baseball word market, the, the 1974 Kareem kind of Milwaukee with a flourish Jersey yeah, okay. is, <laughs> is kind of my favorite. Um, I, I've, I've grown into that, like, I like, red, it's a, that has red, that was, that's a red, like red word mark though. Right. Yeah, I'm red and green bucks. I'm team red and oh, green yeah. bucks. Well, and and but, but again, like a like a, 
it's an adult, it's an acquired taste. I certainly didn't like it when the Bulls were wearing like like I mean, we we're growing up like the Bulls had the the Bulls and the Raiders had the coolest colors of all time, right? And so no one was thinking red and green was a thing. But again, if you're listening to this, you've heard me talk for hours and hours and hours about the Bucks. I like the purple just because the purple the purple was um, showing that the Bucks are ready to be a modern team. I look back on it with fondness. I don't think they should have done it, but I'm happy that they did. And when I had Tom on Grady on here, it's kind of the same thing. I told him was like, Hey, I'm, I'm really happy you made the purple. I thought those were really interesting and really cool. I'm not sure they should have done it, but you know, it was a night, it was the nineties. It was a very nineties thing to do, you know? Yeah. And it, it felt like, it felt like a big upgrade on the jerseys at the time. I remember as a kid being like really excited that they changed the jerseys in hindsight, maybe not this big of upgrade as, <laughs> as it was the time, but I mean, whatever you're not, you know, you want to make something timeless, but you're mainly just trying to keep people happy right then. And yeah. 13-year-old me was pretty pumped about it. Yeah, but when they changed back the red and green, um, I was upset at the time, but I think if you look back and you watch some high-def games, not the version of the red and green where they, where it was started out shiny. There's a dull version. If you see kind of the Giannis fo- like at a photo shoot kind of shots, to me that doesn't look that bad. And like the uh, the, the Jared to Jared game, you know, the, the, the games against the Bulls in the playoffs, to me that was still we'd look like the books. That wasn't my favorite set. I didn't like the way it looked, but I, again, 10% of people agree with me on that, but, but yes, a a blue Jersey is going to give me an ulcer. The shiny jerseys, like the whole shiny Jersey trend was, I would say probably the low point of like general Jersey trend, even above like sleeve jerseys. I think the shiny Jersey was just horrendous. I hated the shiny Jersey. Never understood. Why, why do we want to wear shiny jerseys that just always struck me so uh you know rest in no peace shiny jersey era mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy about that see we ended up on we, we ended on something we can agree on yeah that's that's perfect well hey um i don't know how to close this thanks for everything man <laughs> all right thanks man i appreciate it and um yeah keep keep doing this these are fun we'll do one soon 